Hello, brethren. Brother Bob here again. In these next few podcasts, I'm going to once again share some biblical truths with you that most of you are never taught about, at least not clearly. I'm going to delve into the hidden in plain sight teaching in the Bible about the kingdom of God and how it pertains to the church age in relation to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of the kingdoms. I'll do that at a different time. This is specifically going to pertain to how the kingdom of God teachings relate to the church and to believers. When I speak of the kingdoms, plural of God, I'm speaking about two literal, sometimes physical, sometimes spiritual realms where the Lord and his subjects, his angels, his children, whatever other strange creatures the Lord created to be in that heavenly realm. Now, these kingdoms of God are not some imaginary mystical places that, that I made up in my, mind, in my mind after watching too many Lord of the Ring movies. During Christ's ministry days, he often spoke about the kingdom of God. Matthew 4, 17. From that time forward, Yeshua Christ began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God. He was, he was preaching a kingdom repentance, not a salvation forgiveness. Is at hand means that the complete literal kingdom realm of God is not literally here yet, but the things that I'm doing, Christ is saying, I'm going to give you a little hint of what this world will be like when the kingdom does arrive. Just got to remember, this planet Earth is still Satan's domain. He's still the, the prince of this world. And so what the Lord did is he stepped into his realm, Satan's realm, and he threw a couple darts at him by healing sick people and casting out demons. So a little taste or a glimmer of the kingdom of God was revealed through Christ's ministry. But obviously, God is not ruling or reigning in Jerusalem right now. So it wasn't a complete return of the kingdom, but that's going to come. You see, the good Lord doesn't sit on some giant throne on top of some giant cloud in the middle of nothingness, just ruling and reigning the stars and the moon. He lives in a literal place. There is a kingdom with buildings and people and animals and, yes, animals, in life, and and we're going to see later on, even in that the millennial kingdom, which is going to be on this planet, there's going to be people growing very old, there's going to be people dying. So it's still not going to be a perfect sinless kingdom, but it's going to be a lot better than what we have now. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Again, during Christ's ministry days, he did not go around to the different cities that he visited and tell people to get saved so he can go to heaven. He always preached about the kingdom of God, whether he was talking about rewards from persecution, Greek will reward being in the kingdom, it says, if you're faithful. Or being put out of the kingdom because of unfaithfulness. It's a literal place. When Christ told his faithful followers that he had to go to his father's house and prepare a place for them, he was speaking of preparing a nice home for his new bride. That's, that's, that's literally what Christ was talking about. And we're going to see later on in one of the other kingdoms, it's not going to do it now, but there's going to be this amazing wedding between the faithful and the church and Christ, it's going to take place during the new heaven and earth kingdom. It's a pretty amazing thing. We'll talk about it later on. Now, there's a lot of stuff in the scriptures hidden in plain sight about the kingdom of God and how it pertains even to church believers. And understanding the kingdom teaching in the scriptures is essential to understanding all the possible judgment seat of Christ consequences, good or bad, for believers. I'm hoping through this podcast to get church believers to see all the possible kingdom of God rewards, blessings, and special ruling hours, honors that they can earn or merit by staying faithful in their spiritual walk with Christ. Also, just for the record, what I'm sharing with you in this podcast, as with all my podcasts, comes right out of the scriptures. 
However, before I get started, let me share some important information about truth, especially God's truths. Let me start off by saying that biblical truth is not determined by what we want truth to be. Biblical truth just is. Either you know the truth or you don't. And many times, even when we believe something that we thought for sure was the truth of God's word, we found out through real biblical truth that what we believed was wrong. That doesn't mean that a biblical truth changed. It means we were willing to change our view of what we once thought was a biblical truth. Two people with opposing views of what they believe a biblical truth is can't both be right. They can both be wrong, but they both cannot be right. So that means that there are not multiple choice options for God's truths. I say all this hoping to encourage you not to be stagnant and stubborn in what you believe to be the truths of God's word. Because I'm going to share with you a teaching that a lot of you are not being taught in your church. And you're going to think, what's Brother Bob smoking? But I'm going to show you this is what the Bible teaches. These are truths of God's word. So be willing to change your mind about a truth that you thought was a truth, which is not. Brethren, a child of God with a teachable spirit is a pleasing thing to the Lord. And that's because God knows his children are stupid. And we're never going to figure all this stuff out right away. In fact, we're never going to get all this stuff from God's word right until we get to the other side. So that's why definitely we need to have a teachable spirit. Not gullible, but teachable. Also, biblical truth should never be determined by our emotions. Our emotions will always deceive us into believing that something is true, even when biblical and spiritual logic clearly shows that it's not true. People will believe anything if it feels like it's right. They'll totally ignore truth because they believe something's right based on what feels good. Brethren, as I share things on these podcasts, I'm not trying to, you, to get you to drink my Kool-Aid. I'm simply trying to get you to look at the facts before you make the emotional assumption that I'm wrong and you're right. If what I'm sharing with you is not biblically accurate, don't listen to what I say. However, don't make the mistake of rejecting what I say because you don't like what I say. Ask yourself this question. If you have been wrong about just one thing that I have shared with you on any of my podcasts, how many more things are you wrong about? I wanted to share those things with you so that you don't think I'm some crazy religious zealot who spends his days and nights coming up with wacky, unbiblical teachings. I've known about this kingdom teaching in the Bible for many, many years. Sadly, after 30-some years, I find very few believers who are really interested in learning the deeper things of God's Word. And the kingdom teaching is one of those. Most Christians today are happy playing church as they feed on the milk of God's Word week after week after week. Oh well, it's not me that they'll answer to. Hebrews chapter 5, there's much more we'd like to share with you, but it's difficult to explain these things to you, believers, because you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now, you ought to be teaching others and said you need someone to come along again and teach you the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot even eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the differences between right and wrong. Yeah, the Lord gave us a brain, saints. He expects us to use it. Now, I'm going to share something most of you aren't going to like, but too bad. This is how it is. You know, the churches are pretty spiritually dull and dead these days. But that's not the Holy Spirit's fault. That's because the churches are full of biblically ignorant baby children. And by the way, there are numerous biblically sound Christian teachers and preachers out there in the church who are also trying to get more believers to see and understand the kingdom of God teachings that are hidden in plain sight in the Bible. Do a simple YouTube search about the kingdom of God or the kingdom teachings in the Bible, and you'll be amazed with how much info there is out there on this topic. So here's a little side note. 
I'm in the process of putting together a more detailed podcast about what the Bible says about the soon-to-happen kingdoms of God. So be patient and give me some time to accomplish that. In the future, I'll bring you a podcast that deals more with more detail about what these kingdoms are going to be like. Again, in the meantime, go online and look up other born-again preachers or teachers who are using the scriptures to try to explain the doctrines of the kingdom of God. So let me again share some more introduction stuff. I do this every fourth or fifth podcast, so I want people to know where I'm coming from. Whenever I use the terms believer, follower, saved, Christian, brother, sister, brethren, or child of God, or children of God in in my podcast, I'm referring to blood-bought, sin-washed, born-again believers. I refer to them with a title only, not as a verb, which is an action word. It's a title. Yes, you should have paid more attention to Mrs. Gruber, your eighth-grade grammar teacher. Unfortunately, only the Lord truly knows who is and who is not truly born again. So that means that unless it's doctrinally obvious that a person who professes to be born again does not believe that eternal salvation is a free gift received through faith in the gospel of Christ plus nothing else, we must recognize them as a brother or sister in the Christ. The messages I share, the words I share in these podcasts are for true believers, not for wannabe believers, not for sincere religious people. These are people who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Now, if you're going to understand how the judgment seat of Christ works, it's critical that believers don't make the unbiblical mistake of assuming that just because someone who professes to be a believer is living a spiritually lazy or immoral life, that they were probably never saved to begin with. Brethren, the churches of Peter and Paul's days were loaded with carnal, immoral, unfaithful people who the apostles called or considered believers. These next verses are written to and about professing born-again believers. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19-21. If the Lord Yeshua is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up, telling me how well you are doing in the faith. Paul says, I have no other faithful believers like Timothy who genuinely care about your welfare. And all other believers care only about themselves and not for what matters to Yeshua Christ. Isn't that a sad testimony? That's Paul Talking about all the churches he was in, all the believers he met, he only had Timothy was the one he could trust on. That's pretty sad. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. Paul says, The first time I was brought before the judges to be judged as a Christian, none of the brethren came with me. They all abandoned me. May it not be counted against them at the judgment seat. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. Another terrible testimony. Can you imagine that? Here's the apostle Paul standing all alone, willing to stand up for the faith and fight the good fight all alone. And God was with them, though. Just like with us. I know there's a remnant out there. There's very few who are really being faithful to God's word. And I don't share that to be arrogant. That's just a fact. And the Lord will guide us and protect us and strengthen our heart and give us resolve to be faithful. If you continue in the faith, if we deal with our sins and just have a fire in our belly to want to do and obey God's word. Again, I share this over and over again. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about dedication or commitment as a believer. That means we know we're sinners, but we deal with our sin, we repent, we keep moving forward. We don't give up. We don't grow weary of doing good. Okay, a faithful believer is somebody who doesn't give up or cop out or wimp out when, when the going gets tough. And mark my words, Prophet Bob is telling you it's going to get really tough soon. And the churches are going to start to empty out. The faithful ones are going to be leaving. Uh, the rest of the believers are going to be compromised. They're going to sell their soul market a beast, whatever. They're going to give into the government system so they keep their tax number. Uh, There's going to be a lot of Christians who are going to compromise their faith in the name of love. Um, It's just going to be a mess in the end times. And that's what Christ said. Many are going to fall away. 
Many false teachers are going to come. So be on your guard out there, brethren. It's not going to get easier. Now, before I get into the kingdom thing, again, this is going to be probably a three-part thing. I want to take some time and go through the salvation process. I want to talk about eternal salvation with people. I, I need to get believers to understand that when a person truly gets born again, they get eternal life. And that salvation is a free gift. It's not something that we get by believing the gospel plus promising to serve the Lord. So let's delve into this. So I'm going to use the term salvation saved for when a person initially gets born again. Salvation saved. That's what happens when you go from being a lost person to a born again child of God by believing the gospel of Christ. You get salvation saved. That's important to remember that that term, salvation saved. Again, salvation faith does not come through faith in the gospel plus obedience. Salvation faith does not come through faith in the gospel plus living a holy and righteous life. Salvation faith does not come through faith in the gospel plus promising the Lord that in the future, after you become his child, that you will never allow yourself to get caught up in unrepentant sin. None of those things have anything to do with getting eternal life or getting salvation saved. Eternal salvation is either free, as God's word plainly states over and over again, or God is a liar. And eternal salvation is not free, but comes through faithful service to the Lord. Well, we know that God is not a liar. We also know that the Lord says what he means, and he means what he says. So, since eternal salvation is 100% totally free gift from the Lord, you need to guard your heart and mind and repent. When you start to find yourself thinking that eternal salvation is not free, i.e. not paid for by Christ, but something a believer must maintain or achieve through faithfulness after they become a believer. I'll get into a little bit more depth about this later on. It's also important to understand that nearly every instruction or teaching of Christ or of the writers of the New Testament epistles are two and four people who profess to be believers. None of Christ's instructions for his followers or the church teachings or instructions of the New Testament epistles are directed at lost people. It's important to see and believe that because the Lord did not give those New Testament church teachings to lost people. The Lord does not expect people who never got saved or born again to live for Christ. The Lord does not expect lost people, a people who never got saved and or received the Holy Spirit, to live like believers or else. Our Heavenly Father knows that lost people can do nothing to please Him until they first accept His Son as their Savior. In fact, the Bible tells us that lost people, until they get born again, are cut off from any possible close fellowship or intimate relationship with the Lord, no matter how religious they may sound or seem. Now, lost people will have the Holy Spirit working in their lives if they are genuinely seeking to know or find God. But even then, lost people cannot be in a spiritual relationship with God until they accept His Son as their Savior, period, end of discussion. You need to understand that if you expect to see and understand who all those rebukes, warnings, and consequence verses in the New Testament were directed at. Now, again, lost people can search the Scriptures on their journey to find Christ. However, the do and do not verses in the New Testament church epistles were written specifically for God's born-again, blood-bought children. Again, lost or unsaved people can choose to try and keep and obey all those do and do not church commandments, but it won't save them. It's not going to get them an attaboy at the judgment seat because they're not going to be at the judgment seat. Lost people go to hell, pay for their own sins. Now, this world is full of lost, unsaved people who are trying to keep and obey God's commandments, which is a good thing. It just it makes them good citizens, which is good for all of us. 
but it's not going to save your soul from hell. Well, you need to understand that. Also, the biblical views that I share in this kingdom premise are not directed at one specific believer. It's not my or any believer's job to judge the eternal consequences of another believer. Only the Lord truly knows what the spiritual condition of his children are at any given moment and what the eternal consequences of his children will be. I simply share what I share in these kingdom teachings as a way of warning believers, myself included, that simply being born again and not living like we're born again will have eternal consequences to judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we believers must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may be re- recompensed or rewarded or blessed or dealt out for the deeds that we've done in the body, according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Notice, whether good or bad. Yes, a lot of believers can do bad stuff. This clearly shows that the judgment seat of Christ is not going to go well for all of God's children. Here's another important tidbit. Only born-again, blood-bought believers appear at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's because the judgment seat of Christ is a rewards judgment and not a salvation judgment, unlike the great white throne judgment. Also, I use the word kingdoms, plural, because the Bible tells us that in the future there will be two types of kingdoms of God. The scriptures tell us that in the future there will be an earthly 1,000-year millennial kingdom. And then after that, the new heaven and new earth kingdom. So as you go through the Gospels and the church epistles and read of the people being harshly rebuked, shamed, or even condemned, remember that those rebuking words or shaming words or harsh words are directed at a people who profess and who were recognized as born-again believers. Here's another important thought. Being seen as a faithful believer by the Lord does not involve living a perfect, sinless life 24-7. Thank God, because none of us could do it. In light of the fact that all believers live in and with a sin-cursed body, no believer, this side of heaven, is ever going to faithfully serve their Savior 24-7. And because their Heavenly Father knows that, He has designed a way where His children can be seen by Him as being blameless in spite of their sinning ways. And being seen as being sin-cleansed, blameless by the Lord, happens through a repentance that's united with the sin-cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And also being seen as being faithful by the Lord doesn't mean that God sees us faithful 24-7. Being faithful, being seen faithful by the Lord entails that a child of God not only be sin cleansed, but continue to faithfully strive or work at obeying God's teachings and commandments for the church age. At the justice seat of Christ, a believer is not rewarded by how well they started their Christian life, but by how well they finished it. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6-8, through 8, the Apostle Paul says, As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all believers who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Notice that the Apostle Paul did not say, praise God. In the near future, I will receive some special rewards simply because I was born again. No. Paul was a faithful man, and and it doesn't say it in the Bible, but I know that God has a special place for him in his kingdom. Paul was a very, very faithful warrior for Christ. Now, what I'm going to share next is also very important. Maybe a lot of you believe this, but I'm going to share it anyways. Being that a child of God has a sin nature, we will sin. Contrary to what many of you are taught, our sinful flesh is not completely powerless or destroyed when we initially get born again. Our rotten, evil, self-centered flesh is going to be with us all our earthly days. However, 
being that the Spirit of the living God now dwells in us, we do not have to let our sinful flesh run and control our lives. Baby step after baby step, we can learn to master, i.e. control our sinful flesh. So, if we are genuinely striving to walk in the Spirit, as we mature, we will sin less and less. But unfortunately, because we all have a sin nature, a powerful sin nature, even on our best spiritual days, we still have the potential to sin. These next verses show the faithful Apostle Paul's inner sin struggles. Romans 7:19. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not the one doing it, but sin which is in me. I have discovered this principle of life, that whenever I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Paul's explaining his sin nature. Even on his best day, he had this rotten part of him that just let him stray, had him stumble and sin. Now, I don't want to sound blasphemous, so listen carefully. It's not so much that we sin that upsets our father. What really upsets him is when we don't deal with sin once we do sin. You see, even though the Lord knows his children will sin, he still wants us to acknowledge to him that we have sinned by confessing to him that we have sinned against his commandments. That's what sin is. Sin is disobeying God's word. Remember, sin only happens when we disobey God's commandments. Unfortunately, a lot of believers these days like to come up with their own ideas on what sin is, like drinking alcohol, smoking, or buying lottery tickets, etc., etc., etc. The scriptures tell us that if there is no biblical law or commandment for this thing or that thing, or don't do this or don't do that, it's not a sin. When we sin, we need to humbly and repentantly approach the throne of grace, i.e. Christ, and seek to have that repentant sin washed away by the ever-cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And this repentance needs to be serious and genuine. Now, the word repentance doesn't mean to ask for forgiveness. It's a term that means to make an about-face, to turn away from your sin. It's the blood that washes away the sin. We just God wants us to acknowledge to him that we have sin. He knows we have sin. He wants us to admit it to him. Repentance means to make an about-face from that sin. So if we're... If we're caught in a sin of lust, we need to turn away from it. That's what repentance means. If we're caught up in this in this desire to steal at work or to watch something and we shouldn't watch it on TV, we need to turn away from that. That's what repentance means. But again, repentance needs to be serious and genuine. Not like the Pharisees who only came to John the Baptist for self-centered, self-righteous repeat reasons. We do have a gracious and loving Savior God who is more than willing to cleanse away our sins so long as we humbly acknowledge and repent of our sin. There's some great verses in Hebrews, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we were, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that may we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's a loving Father. He's a loving Savior. But we need to humble ourselves when we come to him. Can't be arrogant about our sin. Can't be all puffed up. Can't be unrepentant. I'll deal with that later on. 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and then the blood of Yeshua Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, then we are deceiving ourselves, and then the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love all them if and then words. It's important. Please notice that this path of sin cleansing in 1 John 1.7 is not applicable for those believers 
who are not walking in the light. We need to be walking in the spirit. It says if we walk in the light, we can come to him. That means that's the idea of, of we're, we're trying to abide with the Lord. We're trying to walk with the Lord. This isn't for the, the believer who's living in a carnal, casual sin, maybe like adultery. You can't be some believer who's living in adultery and, and say, well, Lord, I know I'm in adultery, and I know I shouldn't be having relations, sexual relationships with this woman, and I know I've kind of deserted my wife to sleep with this other woman, but I love this woman I'm in adultery with, and I promise to marry her someday, and I'm going to get rid of my wife, and so I'm not in the sin of adultery someday, Lord, but for now, can you please forgive me for my sins? God's going to say, ain't going to happen. All right, so we need to understand that. Repentance means to turn away from your sin. And because the Lord has created this simple for us, simple for us path or way for our sins to be washed away, he gets very upset when his children refuse to do just that and instead choose to arrogantly or rebelliously wallow in their sins. And that's why there's 30 different types of consequences in the Bible for believers who live in unrepentant sin. Brethren, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says that sin is going to easily entangle us. We're going to get easily caught up in its snare. It's going to happen. Again, even on our best day, we're in the radio, in the car listening to Christian music on the radio. We're talking to God, and somebody cuts us off, and we go to the flesh. We get angry. We, we're just, we're, we have this rotten, sinful flesh that just pops up all the time, even on our best day. So we need to deal with it. And if we deal with that sin and we're walking with the Lord and we're repenting and dealing with our sins, we can actually stand in the presence of God blameless at the judgment seat of Christ because of the sin-cleansing power of the blood of Christ. Now, I spent a lot of time dealing with this topic of believers dealing with their sins because there can be serious eternal judgment consequences for those believers who don't deal with their sins while they're still down here on planet Earth. And you need to understand something. Being condemned at the judgment seat of Christ because of sin isn't necessarily because of a sin like adultery or fornication or stealing or lying, etc. Um, it's also the sin of ignoring God's word, not doing what he says. I mean, you can be a dedicated churchgoer and uh, say you love the Lord and love to go to church, but if you're not keeping God's commandments... That's being sinful. There's, there's, It's sinful to disobey God's word. We just don't have the option to ignore it and think it's all right. It's a sin to disobey God's commandments. Brethren, a lot of the rewards and honors given out at the judgment seat of Christ are for those believers who were faithful to God's word. You can't be found faithful to God's word if you don't know what God's word teaches. In fact, it's impossible to be faithful to God if you don't know God's word. Think about that. It's impossible to be faithful to God if you don't know God's word. How can you hear well done at the judgment seat of Christ if you don't know what you've done is well or right in God's eyes? Just think about that. It's silly, but it's just think about it. There's a whole bunch of people in churches doing all kinds of churchy stuff, but they're not doing what the scriptures teach. Now, as far as God judging his people today in the church age, it's, I think it's a little bit different. I personally believe that today in the church the Lord does not always immediately and physically deal with his unrepentant carnal children as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. I personally believe that most of God's carnal, rebellious, unrepentant children will suffer the consequences of their unconfessed, unrepentant sin at the judgment seat of Christ. So you'll have to trust me when I tell you believers are not getting away with their sins just because they're not dying in the churches like they did in the Corinthian church, there will come a day of reckoning and believers 
are going to answer for their unforgiven, unwashed, unrepentant sins at the judgment seat of Christ. And then they will pay the consequences for that. Part of the consequences for that, as I will show you a little while on, is that they will not be allowed to be in the new kingdom. They will not have any honors, no blessings, no rewards, and they're going to be outside the kingdom of God because of their unfaithfulness and their disobedience to God's word. Now, they're still going to be saved. They're still going to be saved from hell. But as I'm going to get into a little bit more detail later on. But if a person is truly born again and they accepted the free gift of eternal life, it's free. It's a gift. It's forever. That means anybody who's truly born again is going to be saved from ever going to hell. Of course, unless they deny their faith. I'll talk about that later on. But if you have the free gift of eternal life, that means you are going to spend your life in an eternal life that's not hell. Do you understand it? But that does not mean, but just because you're saved from hell doesn't mean that you're not going to have kingdom consequences for disobeying the Lord, for being a disobedient Christian, for being a lazy or worldly or lackadaisical Christian. All different levels, wherever level you're at spiritually, the Lord's going to judge you. Now, I want everybody to listen to me carefully. The sins of the believer that are revealed and judged at the judgment seat of Christ are not those sins believers have genuinely repented of. Let me say that again. The sins of a repentant child of God are forevermore washed away, eternally forgiven, never to be brought up by Christ on judgment day. Every born-again believer who deals with their sins, confesses, repents, and gets cleansed, will stand in the presence of Christ at the judgment seat, blameless for sin. Now, that does not mean they will be found blameless as far as what they did for the Lord. Being blameless for sin is not the same thing as being found faithful in the Lord. Okay, So you can have your sins washed away, but if you haven't been faithful in doing what God tells us to do, He's going to have reason to judge or condemn you for that. Now, the condemnation is going to be between up to the Lord. But keep this in mind. All the reward verses, all the special honor verses, all those things that a faithful believer is going to get in the kingdom of God is based on what they did for the Lord, not that they confessed their sins. Now, confessing and repenting of your sins is a good thing to do, but so is being obedient to God's word. Again, I want to reiterate that. Again, there will be no sin condemnation at the judgment seat of Christ for the child of God who continually washes away their sins in the ever-cleansing blood of Christ. The sins of the believer that are revealed and judged at the judgment seat of Christ are those sins that believers have not repented of. There's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 5. There's a lot of verses that expose this, but 1 Timothy chapter 5, Remember the sins of some believers are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are other believers whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some believers are obvious. And the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Well, they'll come to light, the good deeds and the sin, at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ said in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, that the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. And all that is done in secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Now, again, Christ is not talking about confessed and cleansed sins. He's talking about people trying to hide stuff. They think they're going to get away with stuff. They think because nobody sees what they're doing, it's not going to be exposed. Well, there's going to come a day of judgment 
when all those secret things, all those things we hid from God, we thought we could hide from God or we hid from other people, all those unrepentant behaviors, sinful behaviors are going to be exposed at the judgment seat. I'll go into this next verse in more detail later on when I talk about the kingdom consequences, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous believer will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, this is written to Christians, believers. Do not be deceived, brethren, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or effeminate, or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me interject. The Apostle Paul is not talking about a a born-again believer losing their salvation or being sent to hell. He's talking about not inheriting the things of the kingdom. So if you're a born-again believer wallowing in unrepentant sin at the judgment seat, you are not going to be allowed to spend your life and the joy and the fellowship of the Lord and other faithful believers in the kingdom of God. You're going to be outside the kingdom. You need to understand that. You're not going to be sent to hell. I'll explain later on why you're not going to sent to hell. But you are definitely going to suffer kingdom consequences. And one of those is that you're going to be outside the kingdom. Now, again, the Lord decides that. The Lord decides who's faithful. That's up to him. He decides how faithful you were, what level you were. Faithful, a quarter faithful, half faithful, three-quarter faithful, all faithful. He's going to decide all that. It'll be fair. It'll be a fair and honest judgment. We will not argue and complain about it. We will know because then we'll have our perfect bodies, our glorified bodies, and we're going to know whatever Christ said is right. We're not going to argue. But there's consequences for not dealing with your sin, and it's not being part of the kingdom life with the other faithful believers. Let that sink into your brain cells. Now, the Apostle Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, talking to believers. He said, some of you were like this. You were behaving like this as believers, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua Christ and the Spirit of God. These, what happened is these born-again believers were living in these sinful lifestyles, and they repented of that. They confessed it. They, they acknowledged the Lord that what they were doing was, was wrong. It was sinful, and they got cleansed of those sins. They were washed clean by the blood of Christ after they were born again. Again, it's important to understand that the washing of sins here is Paul's referring to believers who were having their sins cleansed and forgiven after they were born again. Could have been weeks, months, years, but they were dealing with their sins. And the result of that was that the Lord saw them blameless and sanctified, holy. And again, it wasn't that they had stopped sinning. It wasn't that they were a, they were sinless people. They just were dealing with their sins. This is really important to get this down. All through our life, we need to be dealing with our sins. I'll talk about this more later on. But this is important to understand. Being seen to be blameless and faithful by the Lord takes much more than simply being born again. Maybe you were not aware of this, but the very moment that a lost person gets saved, saved from hell is what it means, or born again, all the sins, no matter how atrocious they were, that they did up to that point in their life are 100% completely forgiven, forgotten, gone. Yep, no matter how wicked or vile your sin life was before you were born again, once you get born again, God immediately forgives all of those past sins. The issue God has is now his children need to deal with their present or future sins that they commit as born-again believers. And we will sin. I'll touch on that again, but I shared that already. We will sin till the day we die. But hopefully we grow in the Lord. We will be sinning less and less. But we're still going to sin on our best day. 
with Christ. We're going to find out, hey, I was doing so good. I was walking with the Lord, talking with the Lord, and just something ticked me off. Something triggered me, and I let my flesh get the best of me, and I sinned. But then I dealt with it. Confessed, repented, moved on, and keep being faithful and serving the Lord. Again, these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is not speaking of all the past sins of the brand new believer being washed away at their conversion. He's speaking of the sins these believers had committed after already having been saved. And how do I know that? I know that because if Paul was not speaking of the washing of sins that the Corinthian believers had committed after being born again or after being saved, but rather at their conversion, then all the sins of every believer would be eternally washed away the moment they got saved, which means that God was in error for punishing the Corinthian believers who were sinning during the Lord's communion fellowship time. Why would God hold the carnal Corinthians accountable for sins they were washed clean of? Why would the Lord punish Ananias and Sapphira for sins they were washed clean of? Doesn't make sense, does it? Remember the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. How can that be? If those sins are already washed away when they were converted, God wouldn't be able to do that. So obviously, there's a continual washing that needs to take place in a believer's life if they want to stand in the front of the Lord and be blameless and not be punished or disciplined for their sin. So here's a little bit more biblical proof that shows that not all the born-again Corinthian believers were choosing to get their sins washed clean by repentance. As I read this, keep in mind that the verse in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, says that some of the Corinthian believers had got washed. It did not say that all the Corinthian believers had chose to repent and be washed clean of any sins they were practicing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 21 Paul's writing to the Corinthians, carnal Corinthians, the carnal Corinthians who had not repented of their sin. He says, for I'm afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. And you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence. And I'll be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. He means many of you born-again believers. Paul says you have not repented of your impurity. He means spiritual impurity. They were still involved in pagan worship practices. He says you have not repented of your sexual immorality. And eager. your eagerness for lust is abounding. Okay, so these are believers born again who are eternally saved, who got the free gift of eternal life, who are not going to go to hell because Christ paid for their sins. But this lifestyle is going to keep them out of God's kingdom in the next life. And we'll touch more on this later. Again, many in the church foolishly believe that all their past, present, and future sins are immediately and eternally forgiven, i.e. washed away, removed, gone, forgotten, disappear, vanish, go away, when a person gets born again. I know that Ananias and Sapphira didn't believe that. Now, again, I do believe that the hell sin debt, which is a debt we owe the Lord when we die because of our life of sin, is fully paid off when a person gets born again or saved. Let me say that again. I do believe that the hell sin debt, which is the debt we owe the Lord when we die because of our life of sin, is fully paid off when a person gets born again or saved. Let me clarify. 
Every person born of women except Christ will spend their lifetime at one time or another sinning, i.e. disobeying God's commandments. The sin does not have to be murder or rape or drunkenness. It could be gossip, lust, anger, jealousy, idolatry, etc., etc., etc. And in the eyes of a holy and just God, these sins can be committed simply through wanting to do them in our heart without really acting them out. That makes us really guilty of sin. That means that throughout our life, we will sin a lot. And all those sins are crimes against God. And where do humans go to pay for their sins or crimes against God? They go to hell. All these sins or crimes against God are the hell debt we owe a holy and just God when we die. Well, when a person gets saved or born again, every single one of those sins are immediately and completely forgiven if a person by faith accepts Christ as their Savior. You see, I believe that Christ paid off the hell debt that all humans owe God when they believe that Christ is their Savior. A little side note. What did Christ save people from when they put their faith in him? He saves them from hell. I believe Christ saves believers from going to hell because he paid their hell debt off when they became a believer or when he got born again. Now, I'm not going to go into it right now, but the scriptures clearly imply that Yeshua, Christ's soul and spirit, remember his body was in the tomb, went to hell for three days and three nights where he suffered as he paid off the hell debt we owe the holy and just God. This is an amazing thing about what Christ, who was God, did for mankind. You see, he just didn't suffer and die above ground for mankind's sins. He also suffered in hell for mankind's sins. But sadly, most of those that he suffered and died for will reject the sin payment that he made for their sins and will end up paying for their own sins in hell. That's sad. That's why it's important for us to get out there and share the message of Christ. A lot of people in this world never heard how much God loves them. So I believe the idea of being eternally saved means that believers are eternally saved from hell when they get born again. That is, unless they choose to walk away from their faith or reject their faith. And this eternal salvation from hell comes through a lost person receiving the free gift of salvation when they believe the gospel of Christ and not from serving or obeying Christ after they get born again. I'm going to talk about this a lot more later on. I'm going to share a few more things here, then I'm going to stop because I'm in the 40 minutes here. But let me make this point very clear. Even though the scriptures clearly teach that a born-again person is eternally saved from hell, that does not mean they are also saved, i.e. rescued, from the possible earthly or kingdom consequences of their sins. Again, Ananias and Sapphira found that out. Let me say that again. Even though the scriptures clearly teach that a born-again person is eternally saved, i.e. rescued from hell, that does not mean that they are also saved, i.e. rescued, from the possible earthly or kingdom consequences of their sins. And I'll touch more on that later on. I think I'm going to stop right there. Again, uh, this is Brother Bob. Just remember, you you got to know your scriptures, brethren. If you don't know your scriptures, you're not going to know a truth from a lie. If you don't know your scriptures, you're not going to know how to be faithful because you're not going to know how to be faithful to God unless you know what God wants you to do.